and it's that kind of force of that commitment that will eventually allow you to gain capability and confidence and then ultimately to allow you to perform at your best. Even when you're talking about not enjoying the process, the process itself, we, we get fixated on the, the event, the race, the, the thing that we're, we're training for. I've always had an ambition to help as many people as we can through running, because I think it can change people's lives. This is what I do to run alongside my life. Hello, welcome to the Pylon Ultra Pod. It's been a while, we know we're sorry, we could have just sat down and rushed through an episode or two, but we needed to find a bit of space to get some other things sorted. James has been incredibly busy with work and I've moved house and been back and forward to the UK to sort a bunch of domestic stuff. We've had lots of conversations about what we want to do next with the podcast and we're in a good place with that and I think we've touched on that in the previous episodes. We just needed to focus our efforts on our coached athletes and a few new pylon products that we're really excited about for 2021. So we thought for this episode we'd get back to our one-to-one conversations. We had a great series with Sport athletes and took a lot from that experience. It was great for us to speak to such accomplished athletes and try to get under the skin of what makes them tick and the story that underlies everyone's desire for success. In the end, they were all very different. Their motivations and reasons for committing to what is quite a difficult life was much more varied than we expected. We also learned a bit about the challenges of recording interviews that you hope will be quite intimate from three different locations through online audio calls and not already having a relationship with some of those athletes. I think what we've always tried to do on this podcast is really get deeper than just talking about results and achievements as the real area for growth for us and hopefully for you too is the journey that underpins all that and maybe that's not as straightforward as just talking about race achievements or training approaches. So we thought we'd just finish up this series with a quick conversation about what we've been doing, thoughts on the next series and some of our learnings from past episodes. So here is the last episode of series two of the Pylon Ultra pod. James, are you there? We're back, finally. I am, I am. Greetings from rainy Scotland. In your nice little office, I can see, your brand new office. Yeah, it's, um, it's my my den of my den of joy. It gets me out of the house instead of working from home, which during this whole pandemic, I and mean, I'm sure a lot of listeners will resonate with this, it can sometimes feel you're living at work when you're working from home because the, the, the lines between being at work and being at home as a parent or a partner um, they end up crossing over, so I now have to literally step out of the house to get to work, and actually it's made a big difference. So uh, yeah, it's a nice wee place, and it's got a record player and loads of vinyl, so I can escape yeah, if I have to. It's like a a grown up's den, isn't it? Let's be uh, honest. There's guitars uh, and record players and sofas and all that. Yeah, and there's books and there's pictures of the cult and there's um, Sherlock Holmes stuff in the wall. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's becoming more like a den, but yeah. Um, but it's still not, not exactly a broom cupboard, is it? No, no, it's not. It's uh, it's nice and big. I've got a wee sofa there as well in case I need to zone out for a wee while. Cool, nice one. Anyway, let's crack on with things. I was keen, obviously, for us to get together and have a conversation about some of the stuff that we talked about already. And we had the series with the Compre Sport athletes, and it felt like a good opportunity to maybe go back and 
see what we thought about some of the some of the interviews that we had and uh, some of the issues that came up and, and conversations and uh, now seems like a good time to do it coming up to the end of the year so I guess if you're okay with that I'll kick off with one thing that I kind of yeah. was very aware of from, from those interviews and it kind of stood out to me on a couple of episodes that there were differences between individual athletes in terms of their reasons and their motivations for being in the sport in the first place and for me there were two quite distinct camps almost the first being very professional athletes it's their job it pays the bills they choose a racing calendar and a training schedule that supports their career development if you like and then there's the other camp who are really passionate first and foremost about their sport about doing the races and the events that they get really excited about and the career was kind of born out of that excitement and passion so i'm not saying that one approach is better than the other but it did surprise me a wee bit uh, as i've mostly assumed that it's the latter but that's probably just judging things by my own standards really and maybe it's partly to do with when they got into the sport Geda Minnis hasn't been racing since the age of 12 like some of the triathletes in particular but I wondered if there's some kind of learning there now I don't know if you've ever read Stephen Pressfield's Turning Pro he was a guy that wrote um, The War of Art and he talks a lot about making a conscious decision which allows you to step into the process of self-transformation and when you're effectively making a commitment to do something before you have the capability and the confidence to do it and it's that kind of force of that commitment that will eventually allow you to gain capability and confidence and then ultimately to allow you to perform at your best so in effect you're kind of leaving behind part of yourself and it's often that part of yourself that you deeply identify with and I wondered if you thought that that was the advantage the athletes have who find their sport in their youth over the athletes who are coming to it slightly later on and maybe that lack of commitment that holds quite a lot of non-professional athletes back and by professional I don't mean that it's their only source of income or anything I just mean that the mind of a professional kind of thing so I wondered what you thought about that if there's something around um, a level of commitment and being able to say that you're you're an athlete or you're a professional and you're, you're taking this seriously. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question, um, and I hadn't thought about it until you you were kind of asking the question there. I mean, and, and when you take a step back, it's it's like this subtle identity thing, right? And it's 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 almost molecular in the sense that the professional athletes it becomes the thing they do in order to achieve their ambition, but also sustain their life. And, it, and then yeah, there's almost a sense that that identity's short-lived because eventually it becomes lost and um, because they'll, they'll the, the standard and the level they run at they peak at some point usually mid late 20s and then after that it's a battle to sustain that peak before the inevitable drop off as the body and you know nature takes over whereas you find someone let's say the guys who found it later in life you mentioned jed Aminis, mike mike wardian was the same these are guys in their 40s who are still performing at the highest level but they approach it with the joy they get from it rather than the achievement they get out of it. And I mean, and I know it's just a small study, um, but I do think that there's probably something really nuanced in this and, and worth a deeper study that says mm-hmm. the earlier engagement and the earlier route into professionalism, particularly from what we've seen from the triathletes we spoke to, likely resulted in greater commitment and a higher peak of performance but what i didn't get from them was the same level of peak of enjoyment and love for what they did 
because it almost yeah. became that was what I do to sustain rather than this is what I do to run alongside my life. Does that make sense? It does, James. It kind of leads on to the next question I had for you. But before I go on to that, really, I was I was trying to, not very well, obviously, but um, maybe try and get to the point that uh, you'll know yourself then. So the plans that I create for athletes and the conversations that I have, to try and encourage people to, to see themselves as athletes is almost like you taking a step from amateur to professional, you know. We've got lots of people that say, oh, yeah, I run a bit and yeah, yeah, I train and whatever. And if I can do that, um, through some of the coaching and some of the events that we've put on as well and you get people to actually make a commitment to say well I am an athlete and I might be 40 or I might be 45 and I might just have started two years ago and my ultimate distance that I can run is half marathon at the moment or whatever but I am an athlete and when you get them to make that commitment then things tend to change I think they gain more courage in that they can take on bigger challenges and new ways of working um, they have greater capacity so they can commit more time and resources to doing something if you're treating yourself as an athlete and you have much higher levels of confidence then so you actually make better decisions in your life about how you're spending your time and how well you recover and the food that you eat and going to bed early and not you know getting wasted at weekends and ruining your all the hard work that you've done during the week so I felt there was maybe some learning in there that whilst they're both different and I agree with you James like I, I naturally go towards the people that are just really passionate about the sport you know they're just it's just what I love to do and I love seeing that from anyone what whatever it is sport or art or hobby or anything to see someone with a real passion for something is amazing and great but um there's still some learnings there I think from the professionals and that they're maybe a wee bit you know they've they've made that decision and then it actually facilitates growth quite quickly and amateurs or non-professionals could do the same thing without actually being a, a paid professional yeah and I, th I think that you could you could actually badge athletes too because people i think automatically conflate athlete with professional um, yeah and actually the vast majority even athletes who go to the olympics or world champs or um you know some of these big games they're generally sustaining their life through other means you only need to look at laura muir in scotland who's a vet alongside her um, athlete life you know she's done a study for that and she's got a future career beyond that because she knows her career as an athlete is not going to sustain the rest of her life and and almost the subtlety there is is i think there's kind of two kinds of athlete then there's the athlete with the capital a where it's your life um, and yeah. your living and everything is born out of that and then there's athlete with a kind of small a which is kind of like your approach to being the best you can be within the ecosystem in which you're you're training and working so for example the, the example you gave there is is um you know you go to bed early you um you eat well you don't get wasted and all that stuff and i think some people who can't be that professional high level that's my life athlete particularly those who don't get it into early enough so they've already established a life and a, a work pattern yeah. and a family pattern yeah they can still be an athlete with a small a which is they make better decisions every day they you know they um they're a bit more considered they think twice about the things that are harmful to their athletic ambitions <clears throat> and i agree with you completely on the fact that fundamentally you can have an athlete mindset and you can have an athlete approach without having to live or, or be a frontline professional top of the game athlete because it's all about your approach and your decision making. It's actually even less about your training and more about your living for these guys. Yeah, it's definitely more lifestyle than anything, I think, really. Yeah, so I guess that kind of leads on to the other 
thing that stood out to me that I wanted to talk to you about was um, this thing about loving what you do. And I think there's a difference between, you know, they're saying do what you love and love what you do. I think there's a difference between those two different parts effectively. So the athlete who loves what they do arguably has a deeper connection to what they're doing, I think. And maybe they're a little less tied to the outcomes too. So they're more focused on making progress rather than winning a race which means they'll, they'll ultimately get more from the choices they make and they'll probably feel a greater sense of satisfaction or gratitude for what they do. And it's easy for me to say all this, obviously, and we can't all just give up work and say, I'm going to do the things that I love to do and the things that I'm passionate about. But I think it's a worthy reminder that if you're not enjoying the process anymore at all or it's just becoming a bit of a drag, then you can maybe try and find it somewhere else. And David, David for example, he switched from triathlon to trail running because he wasn't loving the process anymore I don't think Melissa switched from running to triathlon maybe for different reasons I don't know um, and then there's Mike as you mentioned already he'll take on almost any distance or any running event if it excites him and I think that's quite refreshing to see and it's easy for us to get stuck in the trap of doing the things that we're either good at or the things that we're, we're comfortable with yeah yeah and <clears throat> Even when you're talking about not enjoying the process, the process itself, we we get fixated on the the event, the race, the the thing we're we're training for. But even just there's just so many things you can do to make that process more enjoyable and amenable to your engaging you and getting you excited. Particularly if you're doing it alongside a full time job or a full time yeah. family. So the last thing you want to do is to have to go and grind out six miles on tarmac when you would prefer to go and do four miles on trail that'll take you just as long and it's like well if that's what gets you out and that's what you enjoy then that's what we can you know we can work on and work with and i think sometimes people think that the athlete life or the athlete approach is this kind of defined kind of pillar of things that you do but actually it's a it's an absolute um i I guess it's an, an an absolute you know open book in terms of the things you could do so the bottom line is is even if there's bits in the process that you don't love and bits that you don't engage with there's always opportunity to make that closer to things that you do love and you're absolutely right whenever i um whenever i work with athletes who then are engaged with their training because they they love you get some who love numbers so they would do the same interval session every week so yeah. they can see the numbers progress and you've got some who don't care at all about pace and just want to experience and they want to get as high as they can um, on a um, in a literal sense when it comes to how far up the mountain they can go. And that's brilliant. And, and I think as for us as coaches, I think it's really important we identify what that connection is, um, yeah. but not to have too much of it because I think you can have too much of what you love to get to the point where you either take it for granted or you kind of stop loving it and then you lose an edge from it as well. So there's, all, there's always checks and balances. And even if you just take Mike, for example, you talk about him doing what he loves um, and taking on anything. If you follow him on um, social media, even recently, he, he was celebrating running a 19 and a half minute 5k there recently because he was injured. <clears throat> and that's a guy who, when we talked to him, ran like a 15 something 5k three days after doing that um, last one standing type thing, you know, that big mm-hmm. um, virtual big yeah. yard junk uh, ultra thing. And when you think about that, He's now four minutes slower for the 5K, but he was celebrating it just the same because it wasn't about the time. It was just the fact he was on his feet, out running and doing what he loves. And I think there is yeah. there's something in that. And he was able to redefine what mattered to him about what he loved. So it wasn't about running sub-16. It was just about running. Yeah. 
Okay, um, Mike's Mike's an interesting character, isn't he? Because um, because he does go at things with such energy, you kind of think um, he could maybe hit some bigger results at times, or he could have in his previous five, ten years um, if he had pared things back a wee bit. But you can't really fault the guy for being passionate about the sport and doing the things that he wants to do. I think, uh, yeah. I think Mike would have experiences over trophies any day of the week. That's what it always seemed like for me. He'd almost rather have four experiences than one experience with a win. That that kind of thing. And I think that is commendable because, again, that's maybe something really different from those athletes who got into it from the off when it became about winning a medal at a major event versus, actually, I'm in this to participate as best as I can um, and perform as best as I can, but not to the detriment of getting the experiences I want. And Knight knows he's time limited. We're all time limited. Um, so he's obviously thinking, I would rather run 400 milers in a month and get the experiences from them than run one and win it and maybe feel a wee bit hollow and feel a wee bit like I'm, I'm missing out. Um, mm. I definitely Mike's probably got a, a severe case of FOMO um, when it comes yeah. to when he sees stuff happening. But I think it's commendable that he's not absolutely um, performance-driven on the basis of, it's about peaking for one thing every six months, but rather it's about enjoying every single thing I do every single day. And that yeah. comes through. Yeah. I think he's, he's he's a unique character in that sense, and it's not right for everyone, I don't think. No, You're not no. suggesting that everybody should be grabbing every single race and going at it 100%, but um, yeah, it's very, very different from some of the other athletes we talked about. And it was good for me to speak to some of the triathletes. They've got such a professional approach to their training and I already was well aware of the volume and the commitment that they put into their training but it was interesting to hear some of the backgrounds and how early they started in the sports and how committed they've been on on that kind of one target sometimes you know like Frederick it was just about I want to win Kona and that's it I'm going to keep on going back year after year after year until I win Kona yeah and it's it's obviously admirable to see that kind of commitment from any athlete and did you see Frederick won in Nice in his final final Ironman? Yeah. Um, yeah. So he, he he walked away with a victory in his final one, which is which was brilliant because you just knew speaking to him it was going to happen because his determination, his belief in his condition, his training was going to lead to that. And I'm pretty sure he probably left nothing nothing out there, whether it was in the water or on the bike or on the road. Um, yeah. And it's funny when you listen to them talking about, I think that, that you mentioned that their kind of professionalism there or that, but I think because it's that multidiscipline thing, the training has to be almost structured to within an inch of its life. It's like, like that kind of brutal architecture, you know, it's all right angles and sharp points because I guess for them, it's not a case of saying, oh, I missed my run this morning, I'll get it tonight, because it's like, if they miss their swim in the morning, it has a knock-on impact to the bike session they might be doing, or the run session, and it, it basically, yeah. it's like a, a, a like a, a house of cards, you know, you pull one out, the whole thing falls, whereas I think sometimes when you're just a single discipline athlete that you might be with the running, you might go, well, I can shift that, and I can move it around a wee bit, and it can maybe cause you to just lose that 1% of focus that can make 10% of the difference on the day. Yeah. And have you any thoughts for dealing with athletes like I've I've seen it this year. I see it every year, usually around this time of year, right? There's people that have been pretty committed to their training and working towards races and whatever. And this year's obviously been different. We haven't had the races for people to work towards, but they maybe get to this time of year and training feels like a bit of a drag, right? So the thing that they were really passionate about for 
eight months of the year now feels like a bit of a drag and from my side of things um, there's different ways to handle it depending on the athlete themselves but the one or two athletes that have said listen just take a week or just take 10 days and don't have a plan and don't do anything if you want to run run if you do want to run then it's fine um, and actually when you when you take it away from people then they can see what they're really missing and they, they have taken it for granted I do that myself I've been I had that ankle injury this year and I don't get injuries. I, I, I generally I've been super lucky or whatever it is for the past 10 years, but um, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't run for a short period and instantly within days I, I realize, you know, or I'm more grateful for the opportunity to run when I can run. And I see it straight away, James, like within two days, um, oh, this is terrible. This is te- I feel so low and I don't have the same balance in my life without the training, even though, half the time I'm dragging myself out of the house to go and run but the minute you, you don't have it or you can't do it you really realise how important it is to you yeah yeah <clears throat> I think at this time of year the bit, the big thing to try and help people with is perspective um, and that perspective might be the value of pushing on because they've got maybe a race planned early in the spring and you know the miles you're doing now is giving you the base to really go hard at the training in the first quarter of the year or for others um and I've had the opposite problem where it's like, okay, I'm I'm actually taking training out your plan for a, a week, 10 days, because you just need a, a rest physiologically and psychologically. And, you know, yeah. the amount of people, the amount of people are hitting new mileage targets for the and new mileage um, records for the year this year, because they've not been doing that kind of traditional, you know, build, build, um, you know, yeah. peak and then taper and then having the recovery. So you've ended up with this kind of more constant hum of training. I think that's playing a part, but I think the big thing for me for people at this point is is helping them with that perspective why doing what we would maybe suggest or what we would kind of um, prescribe now is important in, in light of the bigger picture both in terms of where they've came from and where they're going to so where they came from might necessitate a wee rest where they're going to might necessitate actually there is no letting up or we can drop it a wee bit but actually you need to stay consistent and you see i've seen that a lot um particularly as the dark nights and dark mornings have come in where the motivation to get up or the temptation to press the snooze button has crossed over itself and the motivation's dropped to get up and the snooze button has looked bigger and more inviting than <laughs> ever before. Um, and You don't even think, have to stretch your arm out to hit the snooze button, you just kind of roll nah. over, it's a big giant snooze button. Exactly. Well, actually, you just you just stop setting an alarm and then you take the snooze button out of the equation. But... I've, mm-hmm. I've seen some of that and actually I've felt some of it myself. It's felt like a long year and it's yeah. not just the, it's not just the training year that's been long. It's the emotional and the turmoil and that lack of social mobility that we've all suffered from, I think just lends itself towards just a, a, a bit of mental fatigue. And um, I think the key thing for us uh, as coaches is to help people um, with is, is to try and reconnect with the purpose and the why, because if you can help them re- re-engage and connect with that, I think it really helps them with the the you know taking that next step to be a positive one, and and, and the phrase you use there is always try and make your next action the best action possible. So try and get them yeah. to take that next best action, which might be to avoid the snooze button and to get up and to get going again. Because habits habits can form really quickly, but they can also drift away really quickly as well. So your early yeah. morning running habit, or your mobility habit in the evening, or your good eating habits, they can just erode ever so slightly, and before you know it that they're gone um, and I think it's just helping people with that but I've definitely seen and since maybe the start of November 
I've seen people feel that a bit more of a slog, I have to say. It's trying to keep reinforcing with future facing, getting the ambition out there and getting that appetite for growth to come. And um, I just yeah. I just need to keep pushing at that. Yeah, and I guess, like I said, it's down to the individual and, and the relationship you have with that individual to really understand what's behind it. And sometimes backing off for a few days is the right way to go or me threatening to put them on a jogger's plan, as Karen would call it, is, is enough to <laughs> spring them into action. Don't put, Don't put me, me on a jogger's plan. Don't put me on. Great news, there's no intensity in your plan this week because we're worried you're, on, you're, you're just a jogger. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that, that that's really interesting. And again, you're right, it's about what what's what's right for individuals. And, I, you know, you get some people who you'll get massive weeks one week, nothing the next, massive the next, nothing the next. And you keep trying to reinforce that actually that means you've went nowhere in four weeks, right? You've basically yeah. stood still. Yeah, that's right. Because yeah. you've no, no consistency and reinforcing the, the, the point of consistency. And the, you're always able to pair it back. And um, uh, I can't remember who it was that said it. I think it was David Roach. And it was a really good podcast to listen to. And he's like, you're much better to run six short days a week so you maintain the habit than to try and do your six days of running across two days so you've got days off because you'll not get the you'll not get the training effect and training benefit from it and again helping people understand that there's actually really good reasons for them to you know follow a plan and and engage with it but having a week off here or there especially if it helps with mental fatigue at this time of year i think isn't a bad thing but um if you then start to allow that to eke into week after week after week you'll spend the first three months of next year just trying to get back to where you are just now I totally agree. I think actually October, November time is a better time to do it rather than, than now. Now is yep. quite an important time to have the base building, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially, I mean, we can be optimistic at this stage. I think we can be optimistic that events will go ahead and some guys, events organisers next year will be smarter and more capable of working towards the guidelines that are available. Um, we've got the vaccine starting to roll out and then we'll be out the winter and hopefully into a warmer spring and summer. And I'm more I'm optimistic that some of the big events we were denied this year will go ahead next year. And you don't really want to wait till they're confirmed that they're going ahead to start your training because you'll probably have a small number of weeks to get ready for yeah. it. Eight weeks or something, yeah. Yeah. When you kinda need a good a good training block. I know everyone kinda gets fixated on sixteen weeks, but depending on who you are and where you've been and where you are, that block usually has to be at least a, a wee bit more than eight weeks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. You got any anything you want to talk about this well, evening? I, I suppose I would I would um I suppose one one for you and it kind of builds on this theme is is we've kind of talked about how I guess you could if you pictured that it feels for some people are training into a black hole because some people manage their identity by the outcome of their races. You know, I am a mm-hmm. sub three marathoner or I'm a 36 minute 10k or, or I'm this or that and almost it's like what what even is that and I, I totally get it because I've been there myself um, and what we've seen a lot of this year um, particularly when it came to things like FKTs and adventure runs and all these kind of things we've seen people redefining what success was um, but we've never really spoke to you about that um, so as an athlete Paul you've your race calendar got ripped to bits this year so in terms of your training and your approach, what have you done to redefine success to keep yourself motivated? I think it'd be interesting to hear your story. Yeah, it's a good question, James. Um, like I, I think going back to some of the points I talked about earlier, I'm, I'm in this because I love to run and I love to help people do the same thing too. Um, so I'm maybe 
not as outcome focused as some which maybe I didn't realise in that until this year maybe I don't know I think it's been really hard at times obviously to train with the same intensity and for me personally not being able to travel to races my my years are normally defined by my race calendar and where I am and what part of the world I'm going to be in between you know May and July and July and August and all that stuff and, and that's been difficult so I have felt a little bit lost at times and maybe stuck in a loop sometimes questioning myself about other stuff like my living situation my location and what I really want to focus on in the future so it's definitely it's definitely brought some ups and downs for me and it probably will do for another period until we get back into this um, schedule of racing and, and hopefully that will come relatively soon and, and that's going to take some adjustment to get back into that as well because it has been I don't know it's been 12 months for me since I've raced I think properly um, and then from the coaching side of things if you'd have told me back in March that there's not going to be any more races for the year then I would have thought we're in trouble here as a business probably um, but we kind of pushed that energy into the coaching side of things instead and actually that's where I do feel that I've, I and we as a team have achieved a high level of success and I think I think we were in a unique position in that we could offer athletes some structure, some community and support through these really challenging times that we'd never kind of faced before. And we've actually now, on the back of that, we've got better relationships. We've got athletes who have trained better, like you said. I think the training's been amazing. And I think they're better connected to their running and the role it plays in their own lives. And then from my personal side, I've always had an ambition to help as many people as we can through running because I think it can change people's lives and now I think um, with some new coaching products and stuff that we've been working on I think we're in a brilliant position to help even more people from those who are new to the sport or those who maybe felt that coaching wasn't for them or, or it was too much for them or it was too big a commitment for them so I think it's I think there's a different way to define success this year. Um, and it's been refreshing in many ways I've definitely missed not racing and I've, I've missed not travel but it's forced me to take a break and look at things a little bit differently um, yeah I don't know how you feel you've been disappointed obviously because your your year was always you know quite clear you weren't racing all the time but you had big clear goals every year and as, as long as we've been working together you've always had that so um, I don't know how you've felt about things then plus you've got work on top of things as well and that's obviously been challenging too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, big, the, a big disappointment for me was obviously the the European Championships. Um, yeah, being pulled because one, I was really looking forward to going to um, Verona because um, I'd never been there before. Um, yeah, and it was going to be my only trip abroad outside of a holiday we were due to go on. Um, so I wasn't going to fly anywhere this year, being a wee bit more environmentally conscious and stuff. So it was kind of like, right, okay, I'll put all that into, into that. Um, and and when that get pulled, it was a massive disappointment. But it wasn't like, it wasn't like that kind of thing where you're head in the hand stuff. It was like, I'm I'm quite quite forward facing. So there was nothing I could do to change that being pulled. And in fact, it was the right thing to do for the safety of everyone involved, given everything that's going on. So it was it was like kind of 
I kind of the realist in me went, well, that that's the right thing to do. So what I've got to do is do my do what I would love to do, um, which is I love training. I love the process. Um, that's why I'm so engaged mm-hmm. when it comes to the training. And I, I get stuck in about it, set myself a wee challenge to change what I would focus on for the rest of the year. Um, and for anyone listening to this, um, I was. Um, going to have a go at doing a winter West Highland way, not necessarily because I wanted to break the record, but um, myself and Robert Turner were, were going to have a wee go at just doing a winter West Highland way, just because it's good company. It would be nice for us to do. We do it the weekend before Christmas, but of course, and we wanted to break the record. Uh, and we wanted to break the record. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> we had we had a time in mind to beat um, the the record. However, um, with the tiering system in Scotland, we couldn't, in good conscience, travel between. Um, travel between you know where i live and where robert lives up to fort william and then run all the way through all those different tiers um putting bigger masks on the closer you got to glasgow so as it was that again that was a disappointment but for me the success more than anything was actually on a personal level staying engaged with the training and i'm you know i've i've ran more miles i've had pbs i think every distance up to marathon um, up to 50k and training with exception in marathon and half marathon because i just haven't tried that and, and all those little things that we did when we, we we done some kind of team competitions and social competitions, the success for me there was deepening relationships as yeah. opposed to um, setting times. And actually, those relationships have deepened, have made me feel better as a human, more engaged with the people have deepened those relationships, um, both within running and, and, and in my social circle. But also, this actually laid the groundwork for what could be a really good year next year, right? Because yeah. I'm, I'm in December now, I'm probably lighter and fitter and faster than I've ever been in any December in my life. Mm-hmm. And I've not burnt myself to get to that point. I've got like capacity for growth and improvement that I'll take into the first half of next year. And the world champs, if selected, are in May in Romania. And I think it's a coin toss as to whether it goes ahead. But if it goes mm-hmm. ahead, I feel like I'll, I'm, I'm building from a position I've never been in a stronger position to build a training block from. So that I think that's a big success. Rather than letting all that stuff ebb away, is maintaining it. And the athletes I see who have done best this year have been really focused on that, where they've just been focused on sustaining, running for the love of it, but also looking to just stretch themselves outside their preconceived comfort zones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a good point. I think we've been we're pr- pretty lucky with the athletes that we've got I think um, and that most people are in it for the long term and I'm pretty sure if you offered people um, the chance to choose between that one race performance that they dream of or the opportunity to run really well for the next 10 or 20 years most people will probably take the, the second option so it's not really it's not just a hobby for the people that we coach which is great it's it's more of a lifestyle thing and i think that cycles back i think that cycles back to your opening point paul about the difference between that kind of you know lifetime athlete who started as a kid and then peaked for an for a, a games versus someone who's going actually i am an athlete but i might not be an athlete with a capital a because it's not everything to me and my whole life isn't defined by whether or not I medal at this championship, but it's really important to me because my life's better for it rather than, or my life's better yeah. for it and with it rather than my life is defined by it. And I don't know, we're still yeah. probably still searching for an answer to that question you asked at the start, but you start to get to that point. And I think the athletes I've seen who've done best are the ones who have said this, engaging with this and improving in this space complements and enhances my overall life. Yeah. 
I think it's also forced some athletes to be a bit more creative as well and I think creativity is really important and there's something we're quite passionate about as well and we've seen people go out on some amazing adventures you've done some adventurous stuff there's been some fun local challenges we've even had our own wolf packed events and um, we did one on saturday the community videos and the zoom calls we've done and they're always really well embraced by our athletes um, and i think it's because they care about what they do and they care about getting better and they care about being part of something yeah so i, I think it's there's been a lot of positives from from this year and a lot of learnings for for all of us um, and actually we're in a really good position like you said getting to this point of the year we've got some really engaged and fit athletes who are keen to progress next year and hopefully get the opportunity to go and race too yeah there's a there's a few people in particular who um they're they're like in in analogous terms they're like dogs on a leash you know you're almost waiting for that gun to go off because it's quite exciting to see how well they do um and those are the ones who have stayed to my mind have stayed most engaged, most focused, and you know, defined their own adventures as well, where they've come up with ways of making it work for them. Um, you mean we with the Zoom call with the team on Saturday, and some of them were talking about running up and down promenades or round locks or, or what have you. And then you had, and I, I'll, I'll mention her name, uh, Kiara, um, who ran the Royal Mile Marathon earlier this year. She just ran up and down the Royal Mile for a marathon, which is just, um, they just blows my head and given some of the stuff I've done so you see people coming up with ways to stay engaged and those are the people who are in it for the long haul I think it's not about the identity of the time or the medal or the the um the t-shirt at the end but really it's about how it makes them feel inside in their heart I think that creativity is quite important and it actually helps them prepare for next year and say for example we don't get back to racing until September next year I think people are smart enough now to be thinking well there's other things I want to get done in that period that is related to my running and it's not going to be the end of the world if I don't get to race next year it's a bonus and it's amazing and I'll be grateful if I do but if I don't then there's there's other things to do and then you'll get you'll get other people that come and go you know and um, I think they would come and go anyway in terms of athletes that we coach because we might just not be right for them long term or it's just not right at that moment and they need to take a break from it or the sport itself or the outcomes just don't match their needs and I think that's okay but like the core athletes that we've had this time have been amazing and um, I'm hoping they get the opportunity to go and uh, test themselves next year in an an official capacity. Yeah absolutely and I think it would also be it'd also be really arrogant and extreme to think that um, a method and a way would work for everyone in the same way because at the end of the day it doesn't not everyone likes the same food not everyone likes the same tv programs as humans people are stimulated by different things and also have different ambitions and i think that's a really important thing we we, we pay a lot of attention to and try and recognize as well um but that means that you, you you can't get hung up on the fact that for some people the lack of races was just that's it i'm not training and yeah. that's absolutely fine and there's no judgment on that and and you know yeah. what i love the fact you can be really honest about that and for others they're like oh, oh great there's no races i can just go on with training you know yeah. because that's what's important to them. Yeah. yeah yeah exactly exactly it's been an odd year it's been an odd year as we bring it to a close and loads of the learning i mean we've ended up getting into the learning beyond what we did with the the, the, the compress sport guys but actually it's really it brings it back to that whole point is is you learn loads of different things from different people, I guess. And whether you're a, you know, an Olympic triathlete um, like David was, um, or you're just a guy who'll run a hundred mile on a Saturday and a five k on a Sunday like Mike is, 
doesn't matter. It's about what's right for you. And it's been open to opportunity, isn't it? It's pushing yourself and doing things that are uncomfortable. We were initially uncomfortable with doing podcasts. We hadn't done one before and that started in March and, and then we've had a journey on that so far. So it's been good. And we're nearly at the end of the year and we'll have another series coming after this one, I think, I hope. Yep, definitely, definitely. It's all mapped out. Cool. Shall we wind it up there then? Yeah, you know, uh, yes, and it's been brilliant just to talk this stuff out. This stuff that's been bouncing about in my head for a wee while, so this is almost like, um, for anyone listening, um, it's like therapy for me now that I've got that off my chest, so thanks very much. I'll, um, I'll come and lie on your couch and um, give your your um, your receptionist um, my, your fee, because it's been really good to talk that out, Paul. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no worries at all. So, as I said, this is likely the last episode of 2020. I'd like to say thanks on behalf of both of us to everyone for listening and supporting us. If you'd like to hear more, then please subscribe, leave us a comment and share it on social media. If we can build an audience with your help, then we'll be able to spend more time doing these podcasts, talking about stuff that really matters to us and hopefully helping more people to think differently about their situation, their goals and the things that they are passionate about. We'll be back in 2021 (laughs) with more of these conversations on living the ultra life where we'll talk further about the people, the places, the culture and the training behind our running lives. I am Paul Giblin. And I am James Stewart. Happy New Year to you all. You've been listening to the Pylon Ultra Pod. Boom. Boom. Before I go, just a final thought for the year. Clearly, it's been a very challenging time for everyone. We are in this state of heightened anxiety. And with that, we've seen behaviours that we maybe wouldn't normally see. Uncertainty has forced many of us to cling on to the things that help us to feel like we have some level of control, be it the news broadcasts, the local and national laws and lockdowns, opinions that we feel we absolutely must post publicly, and indulging feelings of anger and outrage. Some of that is not helpful on a personal level and it only adds fuel to the intolerances of our society at the moment. Now, I think it's worth remembering that there are differences between law and morality. Laws are set out by governments. Our morals, whatever they are and however flexible they may be, are our own and we all hold different positions on where and what we think is right and wrong. Where did your morals come from? Your upbringing, your beliefs, the media? I don't think we should make the mistake of assuming that illegal means immoral. Not everyone thinks the same way that you do. It used to be illegal for women to vote in an election, for women to drive in some Middle Eastern countries, for different races to be taught in the same classrooms and schools, and worse, some girls still cannot access education in this world today. But does that law mean it's right? Stay standing if you've ever broken the speed limit. If you've ever put your hand on a mobile phone when driving or shared a Netflix password with a family member. So perhaps we could all be a little less judgmental, less righteous and quick to judge people because they may not share your view. We don't live in a world of ones and zeros, it's not black and white. What's right and what's wrong is down to you. Yes, we have to encourage people to do the good thing, to stay safe and to make some sacrifices to get us through this difficult period but we shouldn't take every opportunity we can to attack and condemn those who make their own decisions. Perhaps we can think for ourselves. Have a lovely Christmas and New Year. Take care and cherish any of those hugs you do get over the festive period. Cheers.